I want to start with a question this morning. If you knew, it's morbid, I'm sorry, it's a morbid question, but, but here's the question anyway. If you knew you were going to die in just a few moments, and you had the opportunity to pray one prayer, one final prayer, what would it be? If you knew that sitting here right now, you had just a few short breaths, you had the opportunity to lift up one prayer to God that he would answer, what would it be? In the Gospels, we're shown what Jesus' final prayer was. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us a prayer that is probably the most well-known to many of us. Father, if this cup of suffering can be removed from me, let it be removed. But not my will, but your will be done. But that wasn't the only prayer that Jesus prayed on the night that he was betrayed. There was another one, and John records it. In John 17, 20, it's this. Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. What is your response to the question? Not the one about the final prayer. But what would be your answer to the question? What do you love about community? Not what do you love about this community, not what do you love, but what do you love about community? And we're going to talk about community. And when we talk about community, you know, we can say things like, I love community because it's all about doing life together. See, that's life groups and doing life together. Or I love community because when we do it, it shows the image of God, which it does. There's a lot of answers. But I have never thought of it in terms of that we could become the answer to one of Jesus' final prayers. So many times we're the ones bringing our needs to Jesus. Our prayers to God saying, Lord, will you answer our prayers? But we have a unique opportunity when we live in community, when we live as Christ designed us to live, we become the answer to Jesus' prayer. At a time when Jesus could have been thinking about himself, and he probably should have been, but we know he wasn't like that, but when a time when, when Jesus probably should have been more concerned about himself, he was praying for community. He was praying for unity. He was praying for you, he was praying for me, he was praying for us, that we would be one. The community that Jesus is talking about is something very different. So if I ask you a question, the people that you're seated around, your family doesn't count. The people who are sitting around you, do you know their names? Because it's a little awkward if you don't know your family's names. 
All right, just, I'm just saying. Do you know where they live? Do you know where they're from? Do you know what they do? Do you know what their hopes and dreams are? Do you know what their greatest sorrows and regrets are? That's what you find in community. We could spend a lot of time focusing on problems. We're going to do that. I want to take you through story of the scriptures and how it demonstrates to us what community is meant to be and what community is and how it can be different. So we'll start with Genesis 1. How about that? The first thought I want you to see from Genesis 1 all the way back to the very beginning, we see that we were created by community. We discover that in Christianity there's this Doctrine, this, this idea, this, this doctrine, something that is found in the scriptures called the Trinity. And the word is not used there. It's not used throughout the pages of scripture. But we find this whole idea of the Trinity. Trinity would take weeks to uh, unpack, and we're not going to do that. But for the purpose of the day, in its simplest form, it means that God exists as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and they are all one. That each person of the Trinity is fully God. And that God is one. God exists in community. We see that demonstrated throughout the pages of Scripture. You can go to 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and we see it all over. But when we read Genesis 1, 1, we read that God created the heavens and the earth. When we read Genesis 1, 2, we see that the Spirit is hovering over the whole earth. When we skip to John 1, we realize that Jesus, the Son, is called the Word made flesh. And that we realize in John 1 that nothing that was created was created except through Jesus Christ. So we were created by community. I think it's interesting as we look at Genesis 1.26, it'll be on the screen. We read, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Let us our image and we keep going and you see that and you see they will reign over like, like let us make man let us make human beings in our image to be like us they will reign over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky the livestock all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals scurrying along the ground when you think about that when you realize that God makes us and when it there's words there let us make human beings in our image to be like us that it's God's word. God is, is describing what's taking place, and he says, let us. And he's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our, in our image to be like us. So I think it's important that we see that, we understand that, that we have been created by community. And they talk plural. That God exists forever in community, and we're, we were created by community. The second thought is we were created for community. We were created by community and we are created for community. God made us in his image and we have an inherent need to be in community with other people. In Genesis 2.18, we find where God for the first time says something was not good. Okay, (laughs) the Lord God said, and it says it right here, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And this is kind of funny. I don't know. I mean, maybe you won't find it funny. I find it funny. 
that God is just going through, you know, creating things. Like, it's amazing, right? Stars in the sky, all this stuff. He is creating all this stuff that is absolute planets and things spinning. Things are just amazing, right? Animals and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, it's like he shocked himself. Whoa, this isn't good. Like, like do we really think that God got to the point he's like, oh, man. I was only going to make one of them, but it's kind of bored. So I probably should make another one. No. No, I think he knew exactly all along that he was going to create more than one. He knew that. But, but we see it and we go, huh. And God says it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve. And they were created, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They were created not to be alone, but to be together. And God brought them Eve so he could experience, and they could experience community together, so they could fill the earth, multiply, and have all these other people, and, and they would rule and all those things. We were created by community for community. We were created for relational connection with other human beings. That's all there is to it. We, we were created that way. But there's a tragedy in this. And the tragedy in this is when sin entered the world, it destroyed community. Community was destroyed by sin. When sin entered the world, we see relational breakdown taking place. In Genesis 2.25, we learn that Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. And we know the story. And it was perfect. It was pure. It was authentic. Everything was great in that whole thing. It was wonderful. But when sin entered... It began to decay. Even in the way that they were tempted. Because the temptation, as they are tempted, it's tempted to doubt God. It's tempting to distrust God. Look, they walked with God. God came in the cool of the breeze. He came in the evening and they talked with him. But the temptation was to distrust God. A person they had a relationship with. They were perfect and had a relationship with God. And the temptation is for that relationship to be broken. But it's not just there. That's the huge one, because the relationship with God is broken. But, but we also find that immediately at that moment when that sin and temptation comes, you see that the relationship between man and woman is broken. Remember, when, when Adam sees Eve, it seems as if, and it's hard to infer this in the Scriptures, but it seems as if there is a level of excitement in Adam's world. Remember, he, he was... Alone on the earth with all kinds of stuff. And he had everything. But he didn't have woman. And when he sees Eve, he names her woman. She will be woman. And there's probably some excitement there. But that changes very rapidly when sin enters. When they sin, Adam's words are, that woman... You gave me. Okay, now wait a minute. A little earlier, he's like thrilled about this thing. Now he's like, well, it's your fault, God. You gave me that woman. She wrecked it all. Is there a little relational dysfunction going on at that point? There is, isn't there? Relationships are broken. Community is destroyed. And it's because sin enters the picture. But... 
Jesus has an answer to that. Jesus, at the hinge point of history, comes into our decay, into our sin and destruction, and he restores community to us, not only relationally on this planet, but between us and God. And that's what he's praying in John 17. He prayed to his father on the night of his betrayal to make us one. Not just the 12 disciples that he had, but all that were going to come after them. Make them one. He's saying, God, just as you and I are one, just as we exist in community, just as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit walk together in the uniqueness and yet inseparability, make these followers of mine one. Not just these 12, but all that are ever going to believe in me. Make them one. In fact, Jesus is so worried about relationships and connection and people living in community that he knows that his brothers aren't going to take care of his mother. And while he's on the cross dying, he looks at John and says, take care of my mother. And mom, here is your son. Now, Jesus knows that his brothers are going to come around and eventually believe. But the truth is, in that moment, he needs to provide for his mother. And so he does, relationship and connection. Because it's not good for her to be alone either. There'd be no reason for him to do that if, if Joseph was still alive. So we assume that Joseph is passed on at some moment. And so at this place, Jesus is worried about bringing people together in community. And I think we need to understand that that is what he's doing. He's restoring community. He's restoring relationships. When we become followers of Christ, we become a part of the body of Christ. That's what the scriptures teach us. It teaches us that we are a part of the body. And in at least four different places in the New Testament, we see that whole concept lived out. And we're part of the body of Christ, that we need one another. And we all have special roles and special functions. And that we're called to serve that role and to be a part of the body. And another picture that we see in the New Testament is of the church. And, and the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. And it specifically says and, and means called out ones, people who are called out from, people who are called together. And we're not called to come to a building, we're called to come together. We're, we're called to be people living in community who care for one another, who are relationally connected to one another. One of, one of the questions I ask people all the time in, in conversation is, you know, because I just am interested, I just want to know, like, what do people do? What, what do you do? I learned so many things about people just by asking a question, who, you know, somebody does this, and you know, Anthony is, no, I don't see him this morning, but Anthony leads the water meter department at the city of Topeka. And, and just different things. There's just different people and, you know, just things that people do. And, you know, as he explained it to me just weeks ago when I met him, he says, I, I, I love water meters. <laughs> so everybody's got their thing, right? Everybody's got something. They, I, I love water meters. Right? Who knew? But you think about that, and, and then you have people that, obviously, you've got teachers that, that why do they do it? Well, they like the, the subject matter, probably, that they, well, as I talk about them, he walked in the door. Sorry, Anthony, I just talked about you. <laughs> that, that's the guy that loves water meters, okay? Just, and that was what you told me. Yeah, so, you know, but, but when you ask questions, you, you're learning about people. You want to know what are you, what do you do? Who, where did you come from? Uh, the other part about Anthony and Crystal and I that we share is 
They moved here from New Jersey. They're not from New Jersey. They were transplants for a little while, but they were glad to get out of New Jersey, um, just like me. Um, so, I, but you know, and just all that whole deal. So, and then you see just different people, and teachers, and teachers like their subject matter, and they they are there because they love students and they want to teach and they want. They, and, and we do those things, and we just learn about people. And, and when you learn about people, what they do. See, as I look around the room and the people that I know, I know what you do. I know some of the things about you, and I wish I knew more. I can't know it all. But that's what community is about. It's about being known. It's about people knowing our story. It's about people caring about what's going on in our world. See, because I also look around and I know, and I look back there and I see Mike, and I talked to him this morning, and I looked at Mike and I said, Mike, it's so good to see you. You look great. And I felt it in his hand as he shook my hand. Because a few months ago, that wouldn't have been true. You shook my hand, it had been, this cancer had taken strength from your body. And now, and now God is doing a great thing and, and giving you strength and your drive and all those things. When you think about it, you look around and you realize God is at work in people's lives. And as you're in community, you start to discover those things. You start to learn these things. But you know what also you learn in those moments? Is you learn the struggle. You learn the hurts. You learn the pains. See, see, learning about the hurts and the pains is when you, you suddenly realize that you, you are moved to do something. See, if, 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 if you don't know someone, you can easily dismiss their problems. You can easily ignore their, their struggle. But when somebody you know is hurting, when somebody you're in relationship with is going through difficulty, you will just about do anything you can do something about it. I, I, that's, why, that's why Josh and I got in a car in the middle of the night and drove a guy to Teen Challenge in order to, to enable him to, to get to a place that he could experience the love and grace of Jesus. Did I want to drive there in the middle of the night? No. Did I want to get back home at 5.30 in the morning? No. I did not. But when I hear the reports that he's doing well, it's all worth it. See, see, that's what community is about. That's what being relationally connected together is all about. And there, there ought to be somebody in your life that you, you know that when you're in the middle of something, you can call them, text them, whatever. You can get with them and you can tell them what you're going through. And you know immediately they're going to pray for you. You know immediately they're going to care. They may not know how to fix it, but they know that God who does. They're going to pray for you. They're going to walk with you through the midst of all those things. That, that, that's what the church is all about. The church is about community. It's not somewhere you go. It's something you belong to. That's why I love the slide. I don't know if you saw it, but the, the slide, you belong here. And, and, and you belong here in the sense of you belong here because it's the church is part of the body of Christ. But you belong here because you're going to be connected together with other people. Because that's what the body of Christ is all about. You must be connected together. Look, there's all kinds of levels of connection, right? I mean, most of the people in the room probably have some, you know, have found some place on the internet called Facebook. That's a certain level of community. There's some of you who play games on Facebook with people you've never met. There's some of you that have friends on Facebook you've never met. Which now that works, but anyway, 
we won't talk about that, but, but think about those things. There's levels there, and, and community has changed. Okay. If you want to see, like, a weird phenomenon that's going on in our, our world today, and I know none of you have it on your phones, but, but some of you might. The older you are, you won't admit it. It's called Pokemon Go. Okay. If you see people walking around Lake Shawnee with their phones doing this, then you, you know they're just walking around looking. There's groups of people that are walking in places you never expected to see people walking because they're like, I think we've got a Pokemon here. Do you realize that I had people walk in here one Sunday afternoon after all of you were gone? And I'm getting ready to leave, and a kid walks through the door and goes, is it okay if I come in here for a couple minutes? He's got his phone in his hand. I goes, what do you need? He goes, trying to get a Pokeball? I got you. You know there's a gym out front. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm aware of that. I just wanted to help you out if you needed to know. He was stunned that the guy with the gray hair understood that. But suddenly people are walking and doing things that they never did before. There's some level of community there. Look, our community environments have changed dramatically over the years. There was, a, there was a slide there. Can you, can you just put up my picture, the, the one with the front porch? You can go right back to the other one. But, but see, the, the okay, look, that's a different city, obviously. But one of the things about community that used to exist is people used to sit on front porches. And they used to see people walk by. See, our community now is we drive home, click a button, drive in the garage, close the door, get out and go in. That's what we do. So we don't even see our neighbors. We don't meet our neighbors. We don't, you know, now we've got to work at that. And that's not what we're talking about, but, but that's why community has changed. Community has changed dramatically. But there is only one way to live out much of the New Testament, and that's to live in community. See, there is at least 58 commands in the New Testament that we cannot be obedient to unless we are living in community. Now, we're not going to have time to go through all 58 of them. At least you're hoping we don't have time for all 58 of them. <laughs> We don't have time for all 58 of them. We're going to go through a few of them. But, but I want you to look at a few of these. And, and you look, these are very important. And maybe they can help us identify what community is and discover it. The first one is James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Okay. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Now, I realize there are introverts in the room. And if I said to you in just a few moments, we're going to take some time, not greeting time, we're going to do confession time. We're just going to walk up to perfect strangers and confess our sins to them. You guys are all like, we're gone, see ya. Okay, we're out. We're done. We're not doing that. No, you're not going to do that. That's just not comfortable. It's not going to happen. And there's some few extroverts in the room. They're like, sure, no problem. I'll tell you. Look, I've... And you're like, no, no, don't tell me. You know? Because <laughs> you're like, you're embarrassed for them, right? And you're like, no. But, but you think about that. You go, okay. If I say to you, confess your sins to each other, you're like, what are you doing with that? <laughs> there's no way. I didn't write this. 
and we think about that. Is it okay for us to be at the place where we'll just dismiss a piece of Scripture because we're like, I'm doing that. No. We've got to be in relationship with people so that we're comfortable to communicate to somebody and say, look, but I'm struggling with this and I, I think. You think God will forgive me? Will you forgive me? Sorry for doing this to you. Look, one of the things that Angela does really well, and she's not in here, she's up teaching five and six-year-olds, and she's loving it. She loves being up with those kids, and those kids are amazing. But when you think about it, okay, Angela did this so well with our kids, because she's the one who had to deal with it most of the time, especially when I was traveling. But, but Angela did this really, really well. One of them did something to hurt the other one. One of them did something to hurt one of us. She would say, well, you need to tell your brother you're sorry. I'm sorry. What for? Tell him what, why you're sorry. I'm sorry for, you know, poking your eye out. <laughs> and the other one had to respond. I forgive you. There's something powerful about hearing, I forgive you. And there's something powerful about being able to confess our sin to somebody and experiencing that forgiveness. Remember, these people came to this woman that was caught in adultery and they're ready to stone her, right? Remember the story and, 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 and all these people come and they've got the rocks are ready to stone her and Jesus bends down and he's writing in the dirt and he, he, he looks up and looks at her and says, where'd your accusers go? And he says to her, look, they've already confessed her sin for her. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Look, that's a powerful moment. That's a powerful moment, and I realize that if we would get to that place where we are relationally connected enough that we could confess our sin to one another, there would be healings that take place. Some of them would be physical. Some of them would be internal. Some of them would be emotional things that we finally release, feel the release of the guilt that we've carried for years and years. Look, I know. People say to me, I don't do small groups. I don't do life groups. I'm not asking you to do life groups. I'm asking you to get into community. If life groups helps facilitate that for you, then get into a life group. If you already have community built and you're in this place where you can confess your sins to people and you can have them pray for you, then you're in great shape. If you're not, you got work to do. We all have work to do. Look, if we knew that our confession of our sin to fellow believers would result in our healing, would we humble ourselves enough to get there? I sure hope so. That's just one of the places that, that community is demonstrated. We can go on in, in Galatians 6.2. It gives us another picture of community. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens. This comes back to that whole thing of, okay, if you know somebody's need, it's, it's, and you know the person. Like, if you get an email about somebody in need, it's easier, like, they're in, you know, Pennsylvania. You're like, oh, well. If you just hear about somebody who's in need, you can dismiss it. But it's your friend in need. 
it's a whole other story. You, you, you now feel as if you have to do something. And you should. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. 1 Peter 4.9 goes on and gives us another view of community. Cheerfully, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stand. We talked about that recently. Here's a question. Where do you feel most at home? Like, have you ever been invited to somebody's home? Like, there's certain places you go, certain homes you go into, that people invite you into their home, and you feel so comfortable there. You feel like you're home. They're so welcoming. They're so kind. They're so gracious. And, and you, just, you just go there, and, and you're like, ah, this is so nice. There need to be places like that in all of our lives. That we can connect to people. And, and if we need a meal or a place to stay, like, like if I'm in certain places of the country, and I need a place to stay. I know people. Not enough of them. So I can get some free lodging. You know what I'm saying? It'd be wonderful. But when you li- you know, I haven't lived in a ton of different places. I know people all over the country. But if I need to do, I, I could call them and say, hey, I'm passing through. You, do you mind? If, if I'm in Cincinnati, I, I've got a place to stay. I know that. Like, I, I've got a place to stay in Cincinnati. If I'm in Fort Worth, I've got a place to stay. If I'm in, if I'm in, uh, Orlando, I've got a place to stay. If I'm, you know, there's different places that I go, I'm going to have a place to stay. And it's really nice when the people that you have a place to stay with, they actually know you and want you to stay with them. And you're not like, oh, no. Here they come again. No, that's no good. First Thessalonians 5.11 So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Look, building up one another, what does that mean? Community in this context, it's spiritual growth. It's it's encouraging people, building, growing, building on the foundation, helping people grow as followers of Christ. When we're in community, we're building each other up. We see each other's blind spots. We encourage each other. We spur one another on and help people become who God designed them to be. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. It doesn't just say do acts of love. It says motivate one another. But it also doesn't start there. It says think of ways. Look, it ought to be our, our, our design and our strategy. Our, and we ought to have strategy sessions of thinking of ways to motivate one another to love and good works. So when we're in a community group, we're in a small group, we're in a, a, a group of people, we're just talking about things, it ought to motivate us to do things. Again, and I've, I've beaten it to death, and I'm going to keep beating it, okay? But this whole backpack distribution thing came out of a thing like that in the middle of a small group. It came out of a thing where people were just going like, okay, how could we do something good for our community? And there it goes. It came out of that kind of a time. Community is found where we are creatively trying to make one another's day. Like, how can we do that? Romans 12.10 
It says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I mean, think about that. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Like, when do we do that? When, when do we do those kind of things? When, when do we do those kinds of things? We, we ought to be looking for opportunity to do that kind of thing. The last thought about community is it displays the kingdom of God to those around us. Community is a demonstration of the kingdom of God. John 13, 34 says, he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Here's my question. When was the last time that you and your circle of friends were accused of being Christians, followers of Christ, because of your love for one another? Because your love for one another was so intense that people couldn't help but notice that power. One of the greatest examples of Christianity, of being a follower of Jesus, is for people to see community lived out. To see people who are following Christ, the demonstration of unity and love for one another. That's a powerful piece. If there are people that you are trying to, to share the message of Jesus with, let me encourage you for just a moment. I believe we've got to have answers. We need to talk about just, we need to be able to communicate the answer for the hope that we have from First Peter and, and that whole thing. I, I think we've got to be ready to answer questions. But no one has ever come to faith because of arguments. Okay, we're not going to argue anybody into the kingdom. <laughs> Thanks, Cody, for confessing your sins in front of all of us. I appreciate it. I mean, that's... <laughs> but you think about that. You're trying to argue people in the kingdom. It doesn't work. You can love people toward the kingdom. You can communicate the message of Jesus to them in the kingdom. But an incredible thing happens. When we display it. Yeah, here, here, here. Okay. For those of you that are that are grandparents in the room, and although you aren't, you know this story, okay? You've seen this live. You don't have to be a grandparent to understand this. Look, if you're grandparents, you know one thing. Your grandchildren are the best grandchildren in the world. And you don't try to argue about it. You pull out proof. You ask any grandparent about grandchildren, what happens? The pictures come out. I don't care if it's on a phone, a wallet, whatever. They're going to show you pictures. See? That's the best looking grandchild in the world. 
they're going to show you pictures. That's exactly what Jesus is asking you and I to do. We are the pictures. He's saying to us, love each other. Live in community. You will be the picture to the world of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. To what it looks like that, the, the, that God is real, that, that Jesus Christ is, is, is the Messiah, that he's the Savior. That's what the picture looks like when, when we become the picture. We become the answer to Jesus' prayer. When we live in community, when we demonstrate our lives together as community and, and believers, as, as, as followers who are committed to one another, loving each other, demonstrating that thing, it's going to be an incredible example or apologetic of the reality of who Jesus is. Because that's what Jesus says. That's what he says. I don't know if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus. You may have followed Jesus at some point. You may have bailed for one reason or another. I don't know. Jesus loves you right where you are. Your life will change. Things will be different. Some of the things you think about today, you won't think about tomorrow. Some of the things that you pursue today, you may not pursue tomorrow. Some of the things that you're pursuing today, you may pursue tomorrow because that's exactly where God is leading you. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're in the midst of any kind of crazy, this would be a great day for you to make the decision to follow as we saw in baptism, it's a picture. Baptism is simply this picture of the old life being placed under the water and being raised to new life. It's an incredible moment. Demonstration of what Jesus has done for us. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That starts with a simple decision to follow Christ. Lord, I want to follow you. Forgive me. Help me. I want to follow you. Start there and start that moment. I'm asking you to make a decision to follow Jesus. For everyone else, and even you, and, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, we still invite you into community. You are welcome to come into any one of our groups, and you, whether you're a follower of Christ yet or not, we, we don't mind. You can come and be a part, and we just want to demonstrate Jesus to you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're part of the church, and you're just here, and, and you want to get a little deeper, you need to get involved in a group. Now, maybe you already have a group, and you already have people you're connected to at a deep place, and you're doing all this stuff, and God bless you, teach some others. It's never too late to start. I'm going to tell you a story. We all have a friend here. Her name is Eleanor. Eleanor is, can I say that out loud, Eleanor? You're 94 years old. 94. Eleanor's 94. 
years young, she corrected me a while ago. Okay, she's 94. Eleanor leads a group down in the downstairs, quilters, that I affectionately call my sweatshop. They make quilts for kids, and they just serve Jesus doing it. And they're so happy all the time. Once in a while, I, I catch them goofing off, playing games. Going in there and playing sorry. They never ask me to play. Me can't play. <laughs> and Eleanor loved Jesus. And Eleanor a few years ago decided she was going to start a small group. She called me just a week ago because, because she was concerned about the small group meeting. She wasn't going to be here for it. She, she wanted to call and ask me questions. Can, Pastor Steve, do I need to make some changes in my small group? I said, I want to tell me about your small group. She said, well, none of my small group comes to the church. I said, well, tell me about your small group. Who, who's in your small group? She said, all my neighbors. Tell me about them. And one of them's a teenager, and then every else is like 65 years old and up. Some of that ball. Then two of them come to faith. We read the Bible together. We memorize scripture. And then we have fun. Is that correct? Have I got this right? They pray together as well. Okay. Eleanor's 94 years young. I told her right before service, I said, I hope I'm still going like you at 94. Okay. What did Eleanor do? start a small group. She reached her neighbors with the message of Jesus. She's got some neighbors who are growing in their faith. Oh. Eleanor, don't make any changes to your group. I can't help you. You're doing too good on your own. God bless you and do it. I'll help you any way I can, but, but okay, look, anybody can do this. Because anybody should be doing this. In fact, everybody should be doing this. Invite people into community with you. Say, come along with me. I know you don't know Jesus yet. But come with me. I want you to know my Jesus. And then there's others of us in the room that we know Jesus. We're just saying, hey, get together and let's learn about him together. And let's bring others into our community and let's experience this together. Every one of us needs to be in community. Because we were created by community. We were created for community. Look, I've given small group leaders permission. If you see their names on that page that was handed out today, they have permission to walk through this room on any Sunday. And even if they don't know you, they're going to walk up to you and go, uh, hi, I'm Steve. And like, I lead, Anthony and I lead a small group. Would you like to come? Because that's what I do. I do those kinds of things. So like before and after services, if you're sitting here, I may just walk up and sit down and go, hey, we're starting a small group. And with, you know, we're going to, there's small groups all over the place. Like we're leading small groups for for um, foster care training, financial peace, studies in the books of the Bible. We can even do a fun one like, nobody's got it going, but man, if you want to, it's getting a bad time of year, but competitive yard games. It'd be fun. Lawn darts. You get to catch them. 
No, just, just kidding. That wouldn't be community. That would be bad. That would be disunity, okay? Just understand, that's, that's bad. Look, every one of us was made for this. God made us to want and need relationship and connection. And until we step into that, we're never going to experience what God has for us. I, I hear the excuses. I don't need small group. I don't like small group. You just haven't found the one you like yet. You're going to find one. Because God has made you to want to be connected. And I'm just saying to you, get connected. So if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, I want you to get connected. I want you to find some people you can do life together with. If it comes in that small group brochure, which will change between this week and next week, we're going to add some more because we don't have all the information. We'll make changes. If you see a mistake, just tell us. We'll get it fixed, and we'll get it going. But we want everybody to be connected together because your life is too important to live it alone. Our lives are too important to live alone. Our witness to our community is weakened if we do it alone. We must do life together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would speak into all of our lives. Lord, that we would be committed to doing life together. God, that we would be open to, God, just what you want to do in us. And Lord, that we would do those things that we find in the scriptures, those one another's, God, that we would we would put our minds to being a part of a, a group of people that were committed to doing those things. Lord, I pray that you would help. God, all of us to be connected together, stronger, forgiven, and healed, and whole, and learning how to do life together so that we can be an incredible example of what it means to follow Christ. And that people can see what it means to be a follower of Jesus by looking at our lives and the way we do life together. Lord, we thank you for it. God, in these closing moments, do what you want to do in our lives. Accomplish your work and your will. In Jesus' name, amen.